Before we get started, before any of this starts, I'd like to remind you that you can experience an ad-free version of this by clicking the link in the description that says plus.acast.com slash s slash Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Exurgat Deus disbentur inimici eius, et fugiancio derenteum a face eius. Let God arise, and let his enemies be scattered, and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. So among the things that keeps me up in the middle of the night, strangely enough, it's contemplating sacred scripture, in particular, St. John's Apocalypse. Now, I've done a lot of recordings so far on St. John's Apocalypse. And as each one goes on, there's more and more that seems to settle in, and there's more and more information that seems to fit into place. Before we dive too deep into that, this is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangela, defendenos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias diabolias o praesidium. Imperatili dea supplicas deprecamur tuque princeps militae calestis, santa maliosque spiritus malignos quiat peditionem animarum, perregantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum netrude. Amen. Coriesu sacratissimum miserere nobis, mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Beatus Carolus domo Austriae, ora pro nobis. Sancti Ioannis, ora pro nobis. Domine, ostende facem tuum et salvierimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. So, I spoke earlier about um, 
St. John's Apocalypse, and the chapter, I believe it's chapter 8, the burning mount, uh, where the trumpet blows and there's a burning mountain. And before I get back to that burning mountain, um, there's something that's beginning to settle in to me. It occurs to me that St. John's Apocalypse is actually the entire history of humankind. From Christ until Christ. Meaning, from his resurrection to his parousia. <clears throat> John talks about opening the seven seals, you know, who's worthy to open the seven seals. And the Lamb opens the seven seals. And the first seal reveals the white horse. The white horse, whom many of the fathers... Um, you know, in Protestant circles, they say the white horse is pestilence. I don't think that's the case. <clears throat> in retrospect, it, it just doesn't seem quite right. It does sort of match in, you know, with the battle over the crown, given that the white horse is given a bow and a crown and rides off to conquer, conquering and to conquer. Except that many of the theologians and the fathers of the church say that the, the white horse is actually Christ. And then the red horse is war, and the black horse is famine. And of course, famine kind of has a twofold thing, because like I said in a previous podcast, um, you know, if the white horse is given a bow, and the red horse is given a sword, and the black horse has, and the rider of the black horse has scales, scales as a weapon is kind of odd. But scales as a weapon in a banking system is not. And the pound of wheat for a penny and two pounds of barley for a penny um, and do not harm the oil or the wine, that's economy. Like that's inflation, that's, that's economics. That's definitely a banker. So the scales... <clears throat> seem to me to be the weapon of banksters and well in this day and age it's quite obvious and then the fourth horse the pale rider um, the rider of the green horse is death carries on forward some more descriptions and then we get to the burning mountain now I was going back over some videos on Our Lady of Revelation, and it's a, it's a very long conference, several, I think it's 12, 12 videos, um, yeah, 12 total videos covering uh, the apparition of Our Lady of Revelation to Bruno Cornicola, um, tying that to Our Lady of Fatima and Our Lady of Akita, Our Lady of La Salette, and several others. <clears throat> and the priest says that the Burning Mountain for the interpretation that he's giving, is Russia. Now, for those of you who don't know, if you missed it in the previous podcast, a burning mountain is the symbolism of an evil empire. In Ezekiel, in Jeremiah, and Isaiah, um, the burning mountain in the Old Testament is Babylon. The Babylonian Empire. Because the Babylonian Empire comes in and pretty much destroys everything. The 20th century, however, 
The burning mountain is America. It's the United States. In particular, it's the United States. It's the United States whose prosperity during the Industrial Revolution sparks a lot of jealousy. In fact, in the West, from 1850 until 1900, there's a ridiculous there's a ridiculous amount of competition. You've got the you've got the construction of the railroads, you've got uh, you know ironclad ships, you've got a shipping industry. You know the White Star Line uh, starts to come to pass at this point. You know you've got the Titanic, the Lusitania, etc. Like you've got all these major ships, and everybody's sort of competing left and right, back and front. You have the development of the automobile during this time period also. In the late 1800s, uh, 1890s to into the early 1900s, you have the development of the automobile. Um, <clears throat> going from the 19, going from the early 1900s, the first decade of the 1900s, you start to stretch over from the automobile into aviation. Going into the second decade of the 1900s, you have aviation. Now you have really, really off-the-wall things going on. So let's look at some of the technological developments, the technological perfections that actually happen in that time period. <clears throat> in America, you have the Model 1911 at the close, at you know, at the close of the uh, first decade of the 1900s. The 1911 is invented, and the 1911 even today, more than a hundred years later, is generally considered to be the finest pistol ever created. We have, I don't know, 10 or 12 gun manufacturers who all model their firearms off of the 1911. It's simple, it's clean, it's precise, it's powerful. Kind of, it's, it's a win in all directions. And if it's not developed, and it's, if it's not the 1911, then it's the 1911 sister, the Browning High Power. And those two guns are the foundation, like they're pr the principal foundation for all pistol fire, for all automatic pistols. That is to say, you squeeze the trigger and all of the mechanisms act activate and it automatically loads a new round and you squeeze the trigger again. Automatic in pistols, actually automatic in firearms does not mean machine. So like machine gun, a machine gun, a machine pistol, like an Uzi or something where you squeeze the trigger and a whole bunch of bullets come out, that is not the same thing as an automatic pistol or an automatic rifle. The M4, M16, that's an automatic rifle. But before I get all the way to the M4 and M16, let's back up a little bit and hang around right around this time period. Right around this same time period with firearms, let's back up some more. In the late 1800s, with firearms, we have the beginning of the development of chain and machine guns. The chain, the Gatling gun, the, the hand crank gun, where you insert the cartridge and you turn the crank and, and it fires bullet after bullet after bullet as the barrels rotate, was one of the earliest machine guns. Well, machine guns would eventually become perfected, and that's one of the major innovations in the First World War. It was a dramatic increase because we, um, the everybody who was left behind the times were still basically fighting with like the British Enfield you know flint flintlock wheel lock weapons there were not very good weapons <clears throat> it was in it was during the civil war that the development of the first 
that the first concepts of what would later be uh, named the tank or the or modern tracked vehicles, it was actually in the aftermath, it, right around the Civil War, in the aftermath of the Civil War, that these things that these things would begin to be developed. So let's let's go through it again. You have the automobile, you have the aircraft, you have the automatic pistol, the automatic rifle, you have machine guns now being developed, cannons are not cannons, still being basically the same, begin to develop into artillery and mortar systems. So now you have more firepower and far more accurate firepower. You have a shipping industry, you have trains, you have all of and you have all of those things. Now, when you look, the other thing where this is where things get really scary, because the other thing that was happening right at that same time was mass production, the, the modern manufacturing processes. Mass production allowed largely unskilled laborers to build very, very technical devices. And here's where you run into an issue. Is what happens when you have very, very technical devices that can now be constructed, that can now be developed, built, en masse by people who have no idea how the stuff works? You know, they understand the theory of the machinery that they're work working, but they don't understand the, the, the theory of the machinery that they're building. This gets to be, and, and this is actually kind of key. This is the beginning of the separation into, into what we now know as a two-cast two, uh, two system. Because now you have the people who are the developers and the managers, and you have the people and you have the builders. Which is perfectly in line with the psychological and spiritual aspect of what's happening at the same time. <clears throat> now, at this time, completely unrelated to manufacturing and machinery and industry, you have the spreading of two key pieces of work. Karl Marx with his Das Kapital and the Communist Manifesto and Charles Darwin with his On the Origins of Man and the Origins of Species or whatever. So now you have the Darwinian theory of evolution and you have Marx's new, uh, new Hegelian dialectic. Because it's different. It, it was different before when you had people who owned businesses. Because everybody had the skill, everybody in the business had particular skills to contribute to it, but you had the person who actually owned it who may or may not actually be any more intelligent. Now you have a class that seems to be more intelligent. They're not. They're just as dumb as everybody else on Earth. But they seem to be more intelligent because they can do these magnificent things effectively as um, uh, St. Peter de Abano would say. You have a category, you have a class of people who are magicians. 
Now, the reason why I point to Peter Urbano is because he is the one who coined, he is the one who developed the 21 forms of magic. And in the 20th century, the development of the second category of the seven, the seven articles of the second category of magic really, really takes off. Because the second, the second seven, the second set of seven, that's way too many S's. I hate the letter. I, I'm not a big fan of the letter S to begin with. And to have to use it in that many, in, in alliteratively like that is really, really bothersome. Um, so the first category of seven is medicine. Um, it is herbs disinfectants, biology, like all everything within the first the first seven categories is is basically biological and medical. Um, in that you find the basics on genetics, you find the basics of medicine, um, you know, as far you know, pharmacology and and things like that. Like that's within the first set of seven. The second set of seven is mathematics and engineering. That's actually the development, you know, the, the understanding of levers. You get physics. You get the natural science of physics, and then it's subsequent sciences of, of engineering, which today we would actually refer to all of these as engineering. And then the third one is psychology. The third set are, are the seven different, are the seven separate categories within psycho psychology. Now, these 21 categories make up all, make up in three, so it's three sets of seven um, disciplines that make up the entirety of what the, med the medieval and the ancient world would have referred to as magic. It's not really magic, okay? Ma <clears throat> Even in the Latin, in the, Roman, in the Roman version of the Latin, magic, and I want to take away the occult on this. Okay, because I'm not talking because I'm talking about the physical sciences. I'm talking about biological sciences. I'm talking about uh, social sciences and mental sciences. These are the sciences we would call we would call all of these things science today. However, in the ancient world, all of these were magic. So chemical engineer, chemistry, chemical engineering, alchemy, metallurgy. Uh, materials engineering, geometry, trigonometry, all of that, all of that would have been would have been looked at as magic because very few people had access to that sort of information. In fact, the only people who had access to those studies in the ancient world, in the medieval world, were in monasteries. So you're talking, you're literally talking about the priesthood, which is why the sciences were able to develop the way they were for as long as they were, which is why to call the medieval scientist dark age is ridiculous because those were the sciences as guided by the Catholic church, the same ones who built the universities. It was guided by, it was guided by the teachings handed down, handed down. It made sure that whatever it is that you're doing, all of these little physical things that you're doing there, your hands are being guided by the teachings of our Lord to the apostles and passed down through the apostles down through the ages. <clears throat> in the 19th century, in the 1800s, keeping in mind, of course, 
that you're coming right off of the revolutions of the 1700s. <sighs> During the 18 the 1800s was basically the time, the beginning of the apostasy. The 1700s was the beginning of the was the late 1700s is where the rejection of authority actually kind of goes into full swing. So you had the American Revolution, then you had the French Revolution, and those were the two big and those were kind of the two big ones because they were two of the major powers. But you get into the 1800s, and what happens in America after we got done fighting ourselves, after we got done finishing off, pushing off the the yoke of of Britain. We had about 20 years where we just stuck to our own devices. Where there wasn't a whole lot in the way of like we were too busy we were too busy spreading out to really worry about anything else. 1850 we strike gold. Now we're spreading out across the country. Now we have to start dealing with some of the moral issues um well, we should have started dealing with the moral issues. And here's the thing. A lot of people think that we started dealing with the moral issues within our country. No, we did not. What actually happened was we used the pretense of dealing with the moral issues in order to establish what the power structure was going to be in this country. That's what actually happened. Anybody who believes that Abraham Lincoln was a good guy, was a, was a hero of the republic or whatever, is a moron. He was a tyrant. He was a despot. He was a wicked, evil man. He employed wicked, evil men. Depraved men. William Tecumseh Sherman is one of the first people that comes to mind. When you read the memoir of Sherman, you understand exactly the level of evil that Lincoln unleashed on the earth. What Sherman did... What Sherman did, <laughs> to call it war crime is to is is not even like that. That doesn't even wrap it up because we're talking because this is before, you know, we really started developing laws of war where raping and pillaging was still generally going to be okay, and that's exactly what William Tecumseh Sherman and his troops did to American citizens. These were our people. And if you had the and if you have the belief that Lincoln was like, yeah, we're going to do this, that, and the other, you know, we're going to we're going to free the slaves and this, that, and the other. Lincoln did not believe, and he said it in his own words. He did not believe that blacks and natives were worth saving. They were subhuman. They weren't. They were less than dogs to him. And he said it in his own words. He said it when he was a when he's when he was a Illinois congressman. He said it when he was in the White House. You can look it up and you can find it. But in the aftermath of that, when we when we spent time killing ourselves in the dumbest possible way for the dumbest possible purposes, specifically specifically 
to make ultimately the shift from these United States to the United States. And the worst part about it is, is every single person who's bought into the idea of America refuses to look into this history and read them in their own words. These were his words. They're not my words. I'm not making some weird accusation against the most beloved president of the frickin' 19th century. I'm, I am literally just repeating back what he said. He was a blasted monster. <clears throat> and it was after Lincoln that, the, that these United States got around to the real business of what they wanted to do. Because in the aftermath of the Civil War, once we, once we were established under our own hegemony, it was at that point that our government started stretching out and destabilizing the Catholic nations in the Western Hemisphere. It happened that fast. Mexico had an emperor. They'd, Mexico did not have a king. They had an emperor until we got involved. Now you figure we bought Louisiana peace, peacefully enough, except for the except for the fact that the Louisiana Territory was all Catholic. And by the way, when I say the Louisiana Territory was all Catholic, I want you to look up the Louisiana Territory. Take a look at how much of the New World was established under Christendom in what was to become the United States of America. Take a look, because that is all. Catholic land. Then we fomented some garbage with Spain and go into the Spanish-American War we, and we end up procuring Florida, also Catholic land. Puerto Rico, also Catholic land. We would have ended up getting Cuba, but, you know, it is what it is. <clears throat> handed over Cuba to the communists. But at the same time all of that's going on, Marx has actually started distributing his books, The Communist Manifesto and Das Kapital. Darwin has already uh, Darwin is already published and he's being he is being read more and more and from out of the from out of the American Freemasons and the European Freemasons, you started developing what was called the Socialists. Early on, it was the Fabians. Now, the Fabians, the coat of arms of the Fabians, as if, like, legitimately, sometimes you just got to take people at their freaking word. The coat of arms of the Fabian Socialists includes a wolf wrapped in sheep's clothing. It is literally a wolf in sheep's clothing. And the Fabian Socialists were not just materialists. They were materialists in exposition. 
just like the Freemasons or materialists in exposition. When you talk to a Freemason, when you're dealing with the low-ranking low Freemasons, don't even bother. They're the brainwashed, useful idiot masses, okay? When you get into the upper echelons, things start getting real in Freemasonry. And so it doesn't matter how materialist they sound. The fact is, is that, there, is that they are all, on some level, de devil worshippers. <clears throat> And you can challenge me on it if you happen to be a Freemason. That's great. And I'm going to point you at your own books. I'm going to point you at your own documentation. I'm going to point you to your own people who are saying it of yourselves. Because, like I just said a second ago, sometimes you just have to freaking take people at their word. Now, Karl Marx was supposedly a materialist. His whole exposition on, on the Communist Manifesto and Das Kapital and, and having, you know, and, and striving for the triumph of the proletariat. <clears throat> he sounds like a materialist. He's only talking about the material world. And Darwin's theory of evolution, when integrated with that, and this is actually the thing that I find most entertaining, Darwin's theory of evolution, when integrated with that, what ends up happening? They start talking about how material, how the material world will eventually work itself to per, to perfection. No, it won't. Okay, unless by perfection you mean the perfected state of entropy. Let me say that again. <clears throat> the perfected state of entropy. Now you buy a car. Let's talk material. You buy a car. It's brand new. It's coming out of the factory. It's nice. It's got, you know, it's nicely minted metal. All of the body panels are nice and smooth, this, that, and the other. You're driving the car for a couple of years. Things start to wear in, right? What do you have to do? You, during that time, you have to change the oil. You have to maintain the car because if you don't maintain the car, the use of the car or even just parking the car will cause the car to decay and break. And we all know this. It's the whole point behind having scheduled maintenance and preventative maintenance. It's the whole point behind all of that. It's the reason why you have a check engine light is because if you don't eventually check the engine, it's going to freaking break. Even if it's left alone, it will eventually rot, rust, and decay. The sun will come out, it'll bleach the paint. And it'll bleach the fabric on the uh, for, uh, from the interior. And the rain falls, and the water gets in, and rust develops. The natural state of the material world, if, you will, if, you, if everything was merely material, then the perfection of the material world is rust, corrosion, death, decay, and despair. So these people whose ideas that the material world is slowly moving, it's evolving and becoming more perfect, by if by evolution they mean entropy, and if by perfection they mean chaos and destruction, death and mayhem, then yes, their perfect world, we are moving towards that all the time. But anybody with two brain cells to rub together has to understand that you make perfection, you build perfection. You design perfection. And if you have to design something perfect, when you build it, it is its most perfect, then that means that the whole of the whole of the universe was created by design and it was perfect at the beginning. And from the beginning, as time moves forward, 
things decay. Anybody can tell, but for some reason, these morons who buy into all this modernist garbage, the socialism, the communism, the Marxism, the Freemasonry, the Ordo Templi Orientis, the freaking Satanists, for some strange reason, they, they see, when they imagine us evolving and moving forward, they see us moving towards the shining city on the hill, when the shining city on the hill was something of creation, and it was handed to us by God. And God is the one thing they want to get away from. They're not headed towards the light. They're headed towards the darkness. <clears throat> Back to the timeline. So, late, so the latter half of the, of the 19th century... is when you start to see, if, if like if you're really looking, you start to notice that Marian apparitions start to pick up a bit. It's almost like everybody's beginning to notice that things are going wrong. Pope Leo XIII has his vision of the sat of Satan standing, standing before the throne of the Lord and saying, hey, if you give me a hundred years and more power, I will be able to destroy your church. And God's like, all right, I mean, go on with your bad self if you think you can. <clears throat> After Leo XIII, we very nearly, if it wasn't for Franz jo Emperor Franz Josef, we very nearly got a member of the Ordo Templi Orientis, a cardinal who was a Thelemite and a Freemason. We almost got the worst possible man to have as Pope after Leo XIII. Thankfully, Emperor Franz interceded and vetoed it and said, no, he cannot be. And instead of, <laughs> instead of Car Cardinal Rampola, we got Pope St. Pius X. And Pope St. Pius X was able to see, now I don't know if he had the discernment of spirits, gift or whatever, doesn't really matter. By the grace of God, he was able to see that we were headed we were heading on our way to the First World War. We had just developed all of these machines. We're building these new cities. We're 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 building empires of finance and industry. And because we're building these empires of finance and industry, and all of these things are the work of human hands, we start to worship the work of human hands. We start to worship the hands that make them. But the leaders in this, the guys who are making the biggest bounds, <sighs> what was actually happening at the time were the leaders of these nations were becoming jealous of other nations. You see, communism and socialism, Marxism, all of the Marxist principles, they're predicated on two of the seven deadly sins. 
socialism and communism, collectivism, is predicated on envy. And capitalism is predicated on greed. And it is through these two, because during that same time period, you had the, st you had the standing up of stock markets. of usury as a form of big business. You see, in America, it did actually go in that order. First, Christ came to the New World. Then war came to the New World. And then bankers came to the New World. And after that, it was death. Pope St. Pius X and Pope Benedict the Fifteenth both talked about how they lamented the fact that it looked like Europe was committing suicide. You had the most prosperous nations in the history of the world. We had these great new inventions. These We had prosperity like you could not believe. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, they just commit suicide by going after each other and unleashing poison gas and artillery and machine guns on one another. They line up for hundreds of thousands, hundreds and thousands of miles. Not hundreds of thousands, hundreds and thousands of miles. 30, 40 yards apart from each other, half a kilometer apart from each other, and they're shooting at each other and launching, and launching missiles at each other and dropping poison on each other. And these were all ostensibly Christian nations. Now, to be sure, no, they're not. France was communist. They had become communist. By the time we got to the First World War, France had had several <clears throat> knockdown, drag out fights with itself. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. In 1789, you had the beginning of the French Revolution which culminated in in the decapitation of Louis XVI in 1793. But in the 1800s, you had Napoleon. And you had a whole lot of war going on in France. Now, Napoleon had wanted to manage to work out a treaty with the Catholics so that this way France could once again become a Catholic empire. But that ended up not really working out. You had Napoleon, you had the you had the battles of the Vendée. I mean, France was in chaos and turmoil. By the by the by the beginning of the 20th century, France was basically apostate. And they weren't the only ones. Going into the First World War, you had Spain beginning beginning to fall apart. <clears throat> suffering under the turmoil of the Spanish Republicans, Spanish Republicans who were communist. And at that time, in Portugal, Lisbon was was declared the atheist capital of the world. Portugal was completely run by Freemasons. So you had Portugal run by Freemasons, Spain, Spain with a massive Freemasonic infiltration, France, run by Freemasons, that's the whole Republic, the French Republic thing, that's all, that's all Freemasonic. England, which is a Freemasonic empire. America, founded by Freemasons. All of them basically materialist, communist, Satanists. To varying degrees. Like the needle goes in any of those directions. But the fact is is that they were all Luciferian. They were all diabolical. None of them adhered to the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. None of them believed believed that Catholicism should be allowed to continue to spread across the world. They were anti-Christ. Every last one of them. So let's go through the anti-Christ nations. America, the United States, England, Portugal, France, Germany, by this point, Italy, because by this point, the Papal States have been wiped out. <clears throat> the, war, the war for the Papal States having been, having been in the latter half of the 19th century at the same time. For those of you who are unaware, <clears throat> most of Italy was under the reign of the, of, of the Supreme Roman Pontiff. Until 
the latter half of the, of the 19th century. We had veterans of the Civil War go fight in the Papal States. This was all happening at the same time. By the close of the 19th century, going into the 20th century, the Pope was basically a prisoner of the Vatican because he had no influence outside the, outside the castle walls. None whatsoever. So by this point, Italy is Freemasonic. The First World War was a bunch of ostensibly Christian nations. I mean, they were Christian basically in name only, but every last one of them were Freemasons. Oh, hey, by the way, during that exact same time period, we managed to bundle up old Vladimir Lenin out of the, out of the, out of the Frankfurt School and his Bolshevik buddies, put them on a train. Trotsky comes out of America and heads over to Russia at the same time. And you had the Bolshevik Revolution. Why? Because at that point, faith, <laughs> faith in Russia... By that point, faith had already been destroyed. There was the czars, the, the Romanov family weren't exactly a, weren't exactly a family of faith. I and mean, keep in mind, they're Eastern Orthodox. <clears throat> and in eighteen thirty, early nineteenth century, eighteen in eighteen hundred thirty. Right around the same time that the Immaculate Conception is being codified by the Catholic Church, this is right about the same point when the Eastern Orthodox were headed in the other direction. <clears throat> and to be sure, let's be real about something. Like, yeah, but they're still basically Catholic, right? Orthodox and Catholic basically the same thing? No. During this exact same time period, the Orthodox are allowing divorced and, divorced and remarried people receive Holy Communion. In the Russian church, you can get married, divorced, remarried, divorced again, and remarried, and still be able to receive Holy Communion. You can be two times an adulterer and still be able to receive Holy Communion. While we have a lot, of com lot in common, there's a lot of Marian devotion in the Russian Orthodox Church. The fact is, is that when they broke away from the primacy of the Pope, they began to break away further and further and further. So by the time you get into the early 20th century, the Bolsheviks don't have a whole lot of fight that they have to do when they go in and basically shut down the churches, confiscate all of church property. Here's the thing. You have Jewish revolutionaries, communists, go into Russia, and what do they do? They confiscate all of the church property. When the French Revolution popped off, what did they do? The French Republic confiscated all of the church property. It was the same.
Now, today, you could say that the burning mountain might be Russia. Certainly, communism and socialism are largely associated with the Soviet Union. So you could definitely say that. But it was the United States of America that gave birth to Hitler's propaganda. We actually gave birth to the Nazis. We were the ones who taught the Nazis about eugenics. Hitler didn't come up with that on his own. That was an American, that was an American innovation. Margaret Sanger's books were on Hitler's shelves. Ed Bernays' book on propaganda was on the, was on the bookshelf of Joseph Goebbels. All of these things are generally considered to be the errors of Russia, but the reality is, is that we exported the ideas, and then the Nazis and the communists perfected them. The reality is, is that we are the most, the United States of America has for the last 100 years been the most successful communist state, the most successful Marxist state in the history of the world. And the whole while, the whole freaking time, and this is actually the thing that's most remarkable, the whole time we're managing to say we're not communist, we're not socialist. It's We are actually a nation of lies. Our welfare system is communist. It's, it's not that providing a safety net for people when they're down is wrong. It's that our welfare system is designed to get fathers out of the home, to break apart families, to make single mothers. And that part of us that doesn't have single mothers sitting at home collecting a government check has single mothers in the workplace, away from the fathers, with no-fault divorce. You could say that all of the things that are going on in the world are errors of Russia. And to be sure, they definitely had their first full-on experimentation. All of the most psychotic crap going on in our country today was first tested in Bolshevik Russia. But the fact is, is we're going to get to the final judgment. And we're going to look and be like, well, what was going on there? And you're going to find out that it was America that was the burning mountain that was cast into the sea. It was America that poisoned a third of the waters, killed a third of the sea life, and sank a third of the ships. It was America that destroyed Christendom. And it was made worse because at the close of the First World War, and here's where it gets really fun. On May 5th, 1917, Pope Benedict XV pens a letter 
lamenting the fact that all of Europe is committing suicide, that Christendom is committing suicide. And he cries out to heaven for assistance. And eight days later, Our Lady appears to three shepherd children in Fatima, Portugal. And the Fatima story, I'm sure you know. If you listen to this podcast, you better know the Fatima story by now. And Our Lady says, if men do not stop sinning and offending God, and she says for sure, this war is going to end, but if men do not stop sinning and offending God, there will be a second worse war to come. In 1918, the arm in November 11th, 1918, the armistice is called on the feast of Saint Martin, a consummate soldier's feast, by the way. The feast of Saint Martin. On the feast of Saint Martin, peace is finally declared, and they begin working on the treaty. But who do they leave out of the treaty? If you guessed the Holy See, the Vicar of Christ, the one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, you would be correct. And when they worked out the treaties, what ended up happening was Germany, despite actually technically being the victor, got bent over the table and raped by the whole rest of the world. And then in a side and then in a side-eyed sidebar because by this point we'd loaned we'd <laughs> usuriously loaned Great Britain massive amounts of money that they were never going to be able to pay back. They said it's all good, we'll forgive most of the debt. You just disassemble your navy and we'll patrol the seven seas will provide the peace on the, on the ocean. And so they did. But in so doing, <laughs> Japan, who had been, at that point, importing fossil fuel, well, oil and petrol and lots of industrial products into, into Japan via the East India Trading Company and via the British Navy, now all of a sudden they were cut off. And their economy tanked. And they felt a certain kind of way. And we didn't really care, because who are these people? Don't make a lick of difference. So while the Weimar Republic, end of the, and that's the other thing, they took down the Kaiser and, and elevated a republic, and the Weimar Republic got bent over the table and raped for the better part of 20 years. And what happens? Hitler. If you get an opportunity, if you can find his speeches subtitled in, Eng- in, in, in your native language, in English, if you can find his speeches, read what he's saying And then take the word, if you're, if you're in the United States, take the word German and switch it out with American. And then tell me you disagree with what he's saying. 
Now, don't get me wrong. He's a viper, and he himself, he, he himself got lost in the occult and paganism and all that. He was a drug-addled freak. And in, and in so being, in being that broken, he's very obviously not the kind of guy you want to have in charge of a nation. <clears throat> because he took the words of Karl Marx, and he took them to heart. Which is why when you read Mein Kampf, most of it sounds reasonable, and some of it is completely out of control. But what he's talking about, he's right. Who he's blaming, he may also be right. See, because a lot of people forget, <laughs> we unleashed the Bolsheviks that was Lenin and Trotsky and all them into Russia, and they were communists, and they were Jews. And that may have been by design, probably by the devil's design. I have no idea. Couldn't tell you. But I do know that what ended up happening was, as soon as they took, as soon as Russia was taken care of, and they see Germany starting to stand back up, what do they do? They sneak into Germany, and Antifa is born. Who were Antifa? Antifa. Oh, and this was really, really great. So they were titled as anti-fascist. Who were the fascists? The fascists were not the Nazis. The Nazis and the fascists did not have a whole lot in common with the way with the way their whole political makeup was. But they were anti-fascist and they were sent back into Germany to do what? To try and overthrow the National Socialist Workers' Party and replace it with with a German Communist Party. Well, the problem is is that the way the Bolsheviks took over Russia was by breaking was by seizing all the churches and breaking up families. By negating, by negating the sacrament of marriage altogether, by promoting homosexual relationships, by promoting feminism and getting women out of the house and getting them into the workplace and putting, and putting them, and basically the whole feminist nonsense. But it was the feminist nonsense, the homosexual nonsense, the transgender nonsense, all of that on full blast. Why? Because of Darwin. And that's what they carried into, and that's what they carried into Nazi Germany. So when Hitler went on his crusade against the Jews, it was the drug-addled part of his brain that said it was all Jews, but it, but the revolutionaries that showed up trying to overthrow Germany to replace socialism with communism, they were Jews, and they were homos, and they were trannies, and they were sexual degenerates of all forms. And they had successfully starved millions of people in the now Soviet Union. <clears throat> the only thing that was drug-addled about him was that he blanketed all Jews with what the Bolsheviks were trying to do in Germany. But he was absolutely right that it was a, that it was a Jewish segment of the population because those were the communists. Those were the Bolsheviks. Did he go too far? Well, yeah. Drug-addled. Duh. But you compare the 8 million people he killed with the 25 million people that the Soviets killed in that same time period, mind you. 
Let me say that again. You compare the 8 million people that he killed with the 25 million people that the Soviets killed during the same time period, not even counting the wartime. We haven't even gotten past 1938. We're still between 1926 and 1938. We haven't even gotten to 1938 when the other 30 million people would die. And the question that you should ask is, well, why didn't we get involved immediately? Well, we were going through this bout of isolationism, right? No. No. Why didn't we get involved immediately? Go back and read the New York Times. Get the archives of the New York Times and Chicago Tribune, the Los Angeles and the Los Angeles the newspapers in New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. Go back and read those newspapers. We didn't get involved because we supported the Nazis. We thought what they were doing was a good thing. They knew full well that the Holocaust was going on. But they also knew full well that the Holodomor in Ukraine was also going full on. And we were originally on the side of the Nazis. We were on the side of the Nazis until France. We were perfectly okay with the Nazi invasion of Austria and Hungary. We were perfectly okay with the deposing and making sure that blessed Carl, that blessed Carl von Habsburg was not going to make it back to be to become the Roman the Holy Roman Emperor again, we were okay with that. You go back and read the papers, and you will find out that there was a tremendous amount of positive support for the Nazis. That's why we didn't get involved, because we didn't care until the Nazis went at, went into France, and we didn't care until the Nazis started actually bombing Britain. I know that's going to be a bitter pill to swallow, but you go back and look it up and you'll see. Because Americans will support anything except a Catholic nation. And that's just a fact. So when they started attacking Great Britain and they started attacking France, we started looking for an excuse to get in. It happened to be that Japan would provide would provide that exact excuse. But even after Japan bombed, we didn't just go right into the war. When was D-Day? When was the bombing of Pearl Harbor and when was D-Day? D-Day was June 6, 1944. 
why did it take so long? Think about it. Why did it take so long? And to be sure, we got involved in the Pacific, and like we do, I mean, you know, that was going to happen. <clears throat> and some of that could say, and you could make the argument that some of that had to do with the fact that we had to rebuild, and we had to, and we had to start shifting gears into the war machine. And it was our weapons that created the first firestorms, like legitimate fire. Like you hear the word firestorm, what do you think of? Well, whatever it is that you think of, the firestorms that we were able to create with our weaponry was far worse. Tornadoes of flame sweeping through cities, burning everything to a crisp. Sweeping through cities because we were bombing cities, not military installations. We were by far the most ruthless, most nasty, nasty people. The biggest war criminals in the Second World War. We firebombed Akita. We nuked Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Question, why didn't we bomb Edo? Why didn't we drop a bomb six miles off the coast of Tokyo to show them what we could do. Why did we bomb Hiroshima and Nagasaki? I could have picked targets that, did, that had nothing to do with Christendom. And here's the thing. I don't know necessarily that they chose Hiroshima and Nagasaki because Catholics were there. But I do know that the devil guided their hands because Hiroshima and Nagasaki were both Catholic strongholds in Japan. They may not have consciously chosen the cat, the most Catholic cities in Japan, but I'm not willing. In all honesty, at this point, after looking back at history, I'm not willing to give these people, any of these people, the benefit of the doubt. Some of them will get the doubt, the benefit of ignorance, but most of them, I simply attribute malice because the decisions that were made, they seemed reasonable when I was growing up as a kid and I was learning the history. They seemed reasonable because I didn't know anything else because I wasn't brought up in Catholicism. And because while they were busy telling me, well, this is the location we did this and we did that, they weren't telling me what was actually going on on the other side of the line. There was nobody in my high school to tell me that Hiroshima and Nagasaki were both Catholic conclaves. I would find that out almost 35 years later. Well, what the hell is that? It sounds like a cover-up. And it doesn't take much to be a cover-up. It's like, oh, it sounds like you're diving into conspiracy. No. People don't want to find out exactly... Like, Catholics in America do not want to find out how on the crap end of the stick we've been, our people have been throughout modern history. From the 1700s to today, we have been on such a shit end of the stick that if we knew, we'd rebel. 
If Catholics understood how many times we were targeted because, oh, well, they're not going to say anything. Well, let me go ahead and point out a couple of our wonderful our, our wonderful times of victimization that nobody really tells you about. In the aftermath of the Civil War, in the Mexican War, in the 1870s, there was a group of Irish troops who would later become known as the, as, as the, as the San Patricios. And they became the San Patricios because they joined the military in order to fully you know, lock in their citizenship and fight for, and fight for what they thought was God and country until they got into Mexico and found out that the United States Army was simply using the war as an excuse to exterminate Catholics, to burn Catholic churches, and ravage Catholic, Catholic villages in Mexico. And when they started to real, at the moment they realized that these, that the only people they're going after, they're not going after bandits, they're going after Catholics. And they deserted, and they deserted the United States Army and joined the Mexicans to fight against the United States. And those were the Patricios. From 1850 until 1920, the United States government operated specifically in Mexico to overthrow the Catholic Church and to get rid of the Catholic government in Mexico. And they succeeded. They whitewash in the, in the movie For Greater Glory, starring Andy, Gar- starring Andy Garcia and... and, and and Peter O'Toole, and some, I mean, just some most amazing acting. Some of the most amazing acting I've ever seen. They gloss over what's going on between the Mexi- with the Mexican government of Calles and the Catholics. They gloss over the American involvement. They whitewash it because, of course, this movie's made in America, so nobody wants to believe what actually happened. But Calles was a, Calles was a result of Freemasons. And while the American government would eventually say, hey, maybe you went a little bit too far, you know, when you can ride down the railroad and see and see Cristiados, Cristiados hanging from power lines, from telephone poles, as you're going down the railroad because they're hang- because their their bodies were hanged and put on display. The Cristero War is kind of a big deal. And the Americans didn't back the Cristeros. They just pulled back on Calles because he went too far. And they negotiated with Rome. It was America that, that negotiated with Rome to get, the Christi, to get the Cristeros to lay down their arms. And when they did, Calles slaughtered them. Butchered. And the United States government basically overthrew and established the communist government in Mexico because they preferred the communists to the Catholics. And they preferred the communists to the Catholics in Mexico, in Guatemala, in Honduras, in Nicaragua, in El Salvador, in Panama, in Venezuela, in Colombia, in Brazil. Oh, you think I'm full of crap? Lulo! The Brazilian president right now 
has the perfect support of the United States government. But he's the communist. And they absolutely hated Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro the Catholic. They support the Argentine government right now. And they're kind of a little bit leery about Millet. Who's probably going to be the next Argentinian president. president but I wouldn't really worry about him too much. Because he's not Catholic. He's a libertarian. He's still liberal. He's still a modernist. He's still just as stupid as everybody else. The American government was involved was involved with all of the discord in Peru and Bolivia. And they're perfectly content to support the communists in all of those places. Now, they didn't go that far in supporting the communists in Cuba because Cuba got too close to the Soviet Union and, oh my goodness, you got to have something to stand up for. But it's the U.S. government's the reason why Haiti can't be a Catholic country. And if Haiti were a Catholic country, they wouldn't be going through and suffering any of what they're doing now. Which political party is in charge in Puerto Rico right now? Oh, yeah, that's right, the communist. Oh, they wouldn't call it the Green Party, whatever. Everybody's everybody's talking about the specter of Vladimir Putin standing restanding up the Soviet Union. They're actually more concerned that he'll restand up the Russian Empire. Because they're perfectly content to have anything except a Christian country. Oh, all of these countries are ostensibly Christian. Well, if they are, then why did they open the door to all the Muslims? Why are we allowing floods of communists and Muslims in? Because they're not, neither of those groups are Christian in any way, shape, or form. And they're more than happy to let hundreds of thousands and millions of Muslim and communist immigrants. Let me rephrase that. Muslim and communist invaders. All military-aged male. They're perfectly content with Chinese with Chinese spies flooding across the southern border. But you got a German Christian family who was trying to homeschool their kids and the Biden administration's trying to deport their asses back to Europe. Which oh hey by the way probably means the parents are going to jail and the kids are going to be wards of the state. And we didn't get here from Russia spreading her errors. What we did was we injected our seed into Russia. And then it exploded out of Russia and covered the entire world. But the reality is the evil empire was the United States. Unbeknownst to its own people. Unbeknownst to its own voters. For 200 years, we had no idea what our government was doing. We, we knew what, they, what we thought they were doing. But for 200 years, you cannot tell me that you knew what they were doing. Why? Because there are still classified documents over the sinking of the USS Maine. And the USS Maine sank in 1898. It is 2023. And documents on that affair are still classified.
So here soon will be the burnt mountain. Here soon will be the ones who have been destroyed. <clears throat> and if you start in St. John's Apocalypse with the burning mountain, especially if you understand the symbolism going through the apocalypse, what each of the what all of that symbolic language means. The dragon, the attacking with the tails, the scorpion tails, the locusts. If you know what the fathers teach on that, if you know what the, if, if you have the Catholic commentaries for the description of what those symbols actually mean, and then just place the United States of America as the burning mountain cast into the sea. that destroyed a third of all the churches, killed a third of all the living things, and turned a third of the seas into blood. <clears throat> if you start there, and then just plug in the events and the people, and to be sure, it's not just America. I looked and saw a, a star that was cast in that <clears throat> a burning star that was cast into the uh, cast down to the earth. Well, that burning star is an apostate priest, and it's most likely Tillard de Chardin. And the other thing that you have to remember is that you can't <clears throat> you can't look at the Book of the Apocalypse and think about it as addressing the whole world. You have to remember that Saint John's Apocalypse addresses the Catholic Church. So everything that you see, the dragon taking the its tail and scooping a third of the a third of the stars out of the sky in heaven and casting them down to the earth. If you remember that hail mixed with fire and brimstone, fire and blood, is actually invading armies in revolution. That to turn a third of the waters into wormwood means to poison the word of God. Not literally rivers, but to poison the rivers of life, which would be the word of God. Because man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And how do we receive that? We receive that from the, from the church. As the church passes down the teachings of Jesus Christ throughout the ages, down through, down through the ages. So when you lose a third of the bishops and a third of the priests to apostasy because they've been poisoned by the wormwood. Because of the star that was cast down to Lord de Chardin and his nouvelle and him and his his confrères with the nouvelle theology. The new theology. I mean, why would you need a th new theology in a 2000-year-old church? <clears throat> Tillard de Chardin was demon-possessed. He described it himself. His new theology was a theology built on, on Marx and Darwin. It was a materialist, 
evolutionary theology. And like I said, if you believe that the perfection you're seeking is the death, destruction, mayhem, and chaos of entropy, and that's your idea of evolution, then that's exactly what you're going to get. Because what you're not going to get is you're not going to get light and perfection and peace. You're going to get turmoil and despair. You're going to get death and starvation. You're going to get famine and war. You are not going to attain heaven. It's the exact opposite. And Pope Leo XIII and Pope St. Pius X and Pope Benedict XV and Pius XI and Pius XII tried to warn against all of these things coming to pass. And they were aided by Our Lady. Most especially in Fatima, but not only. <clears throat> if you understand what the spiritual language means, what the, what the symbolic language in St. John's Apocalypse means, then what you find out is that St. John's Apocalypse wasn't prediction so much as it was simply illustrating history. Because so much of, of St. John's Apocalypse actually points to corollaries in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Daniel, in Amos, in Habakkuk. The language is the same across all the prophets in what St. John puts in the Apocalypse. And he lays them out in an order But he finishes with, but he, he starts at the beginning and moves to the end, and then he stops, shifts perspective, and then starts back at the beginning and moves to the end, and then stops and shifts perspective and starts again at the beginning and moves to the end. So that you catch it from each of the different angles. And when it's time, when it when when the end actually comes, and we're talking about the end. It won't matter what perspective you're looking at. It will match perfectly. And will be done with all of the prefigurements and the precursors. And it'll actually be the final battle. The reason why Talard de Chardin and Henry de Lubac and Hansers von Balthasar were able to introduce the whole new theology crap was because at the, at the close of the Second World War the whole world the whole world looked in awe at the American Empire it was America's industry it was America's zeal, its fire. At the close of the Second World War, yes, the Soviet Union was still standing. But it was America that stood tall.
and because it was America that was left standing at the end. The very natural men who were the bishops and the priests, the church hierarchy. You couldn't help but look and go, well, maybe there's something right about it. The spirit of the world, the, the spirit all over the world. And I'm not, I'm saying spirit, and I don't mean diabolical spirit, angelic spirit, or holy spirit. I mean the spirit of men. Men's spirits looked at America in awe and wonder and broken, they said that's got to be the truth. That has to be it. Who can stand against them? Who on earth has more power and glory? They who can destroy cities. They who can build a war machine to conquer the whole world. In the aftermath of the Second World War, after the final peace treaties were signed, America was left... Yes, the Soviet Union was doing its thing, but let's be real. The whole world was looking at America and said, who is like unto the beast? And if you want proof of that, all you got to do is you look around, because at that point, we started establishing our hegemony. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization was built, and all of Europe became vassal states to the United States. The New World had conquered the Old. And understand, I'm not casting judgment on the morality of the United States. I am simply stating fact. At the end of the Second World War, America America had become America the Great. And though we never use the word empire, In the aftermath of the Second World War, that's when the American Empire became dominant. And from then on, we conquered. We didn't always... <laughs> we didn't always appear to win. But we always got what we wanted. And up until 
two years ago, no one in their right mind would stand up against us. Now, <clears throat> we get to use precursors, so I'm going to go ahead and precursor. We're, we're going to use the prefigurement of fallen Babylon. Babylon the Great is falling. And everybody who got drunk off of the blood of the saints, everybody who followed us, Well, it is apocalyptic. <clears throat> let he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns